This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question... How does a priest have a son? (sighs) (laughs) See, Luke, when a priest loves a priestess... (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the only Christian institution that will escape the coming persecution because we're just that inconsequential. With me today, (laughs) as always, if you take away a man's freedom to speak his mind in a country founded on that very principle, then we have Luke Taylor. Luke. He's a bad boy, preacher man, Scott Judge. And me, well, I have a super important board meeting that's scheduled at the exact same time, so I can't make it, Zach Geiler. Remember, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts, so subscribe. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars. If you want to recommend a movie to review or just yell at us, or if you're listening to us from another country other than America, shoot us an email at rottenorrighteous at gmail.com. Also, if you want more Luke Taylor in your life, check out his Bible study show titled Two, the number two, Be Like Christ. And if you want more Scott Judge in your life and you come across one of the last Ponderosa Steakhouses that are still open, there's a 63% chance that Scott is dining there. Hey, hey, I like that. And if you know of any Ponderosa houses still open, please email us at Rodner Righteous. Uh, Before we begin, I have another fun-filled police story for you guys involving my office and the police. (laughs) What crimes were you committing in the preacher's office this time? Well, loyal listeners will remember that I can't stay at my office and edit videos past uh, 11.59 p.m. or a sheriff will bust in. Uh, (laughs) But uh, this past week, it was a week ago tomorrow... I go home to to feed and water my dogs, and then I sit on my couch because I'm fat and I have a snack. And as I left, I left the side door to the church building open because it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon and still broad daylight. And I was going to be back within, you know, half an hour. Well, I was sitting on my couch eating my Pop-Tart, watching something on TV, when uh, I heard my phone vibrating. I left it in the bathroom when I got home. And I go to pick it up, and there's like... 15 missed calls, 25 missed texts, all of this, call me back right now, there's a situation going on, blah, 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 blah. I'm thinking somebody died. I call Tony, uh, uh, who's a constable, a member of the church, and he's like, hey, uh, the sheriffs are over at the building right now, you probably should go there and then and, and check out what's going on. I was like, okay. So I get in my car and drive over there. Turns out that uh, there was a meth addict just absolutely blitzed out of his mind, chilling out in our graveyard that day. (laughs) You have a graveyard at your church? Yes. That's epic. And and when I left, um, he decided to try the door, and it was open, so he just let himself in. Dang it, Zach. But here's the best part. Here's the best part. He goes in, and he doesn't touch anything in my office. 
which surprises me because I've left my wallet literally sitting in the open. I just paid for something online, so my debit card was like displayed on my book stand. And uh, he doesn't touch any of that stuff except for he took a monster from a case on my on my desk. That was all he took. And then he went into what is the worst room in the church. We live in this, or we have this old church building in, in one of the rooms, and the basement routinely floods. It just kind of became a catch-all for junk. That's where he decided that he was going to stay for a while. <laughs> then the only reason why the police showed up is because he called them on himself. Yeah, that's the first Good uh, for him. step to getting uh, when th- to getting help. you got to admit your problem. He said he had a needle on him, but it turned out to be a crayon that he found in that room. Um, and he admitted to breaking in to his own home earlier that day. Wow. So did you know he stole your monster or did he fess up to it? Oh, one of the cops handed it to him. He'd be like, hey, here it is. Here's your monster. He had this on him. He didn't did even open like, it. <laughs> did you like, Yo, don't hand me that filthy, disgusting thing. No. Nah, Put that in an evidence bag. I rinsed off the top, did three taps, and opened her up and downed her right there. Mm. <laughs> I ain't afraid of no meth. All right. Well, before we begin our synopsis of this movie, I want to let you, uh, the listeners, know something. Luke's real lucky, because uh, in Guam, they apparently outlaw terrible movies. So, uh, this week, uh, we're going to do something a little different. Luke has not seen this movie, and so we're going to... Do our synopsis like we normally do, but if we ever come across a point where Luke needs some more clarification, uh, a little more detail, any questions or any observations that he may have as we're going through this, then of course he's welcome to speak up as he normally does. But this week, thanks. Uh, we watched the 2014 movie, and the term uh, movie I use incredibly loosely uh, called "Persecuted." <laughs> the movie opens up. With a bunch of people protesting in the rain in Washington, D.C. What these people are protesting is unclear because the camera never stops shaking long enough for you to read one of their signs. But boy, are they angry. It was a cold rain. (laughs) Except for one little girl who's just dramatically hugging a Bible in the rain. They do a lot of these dramatic scenes where they just do stupid things that nobody would actually do in real life. But just because it looks dramatic, uh, uh, they do it. But... So these people are angry. Meanwhile, John, uh, uh, John Luther, dumb name, the world's bestest <laughs> evangelist, is being interviewed by one of the 78 blonde journalists who appear on the Fox News channel. She is uh, talking to him about his exclusionary teachings and how he believes there's only one way to heaven and how that might be hurting the freedom of others. <clears throat> Instead of explaining to her that the line of reasoning that she uses makes absolutely no sense, instead, John Luther just tells her that he used to be a drunk, so you can trust that he's not doing anything for nefarious reasons. <laughs> Did you say he's the, what he's an the opportunity world's best there. evangelist? I said the world's yep. bestest. Bestest evangelist. Here's a quote from the movie. John, you have more viewers than the evening news. Yep. So we are in an alternate reality, Luke, where a televangelist uh, in the veins of, uh, let's say, a a Kenneth Copeland, you know, that weaselly little devil, uh, uh, has more influence than any of the news affiliates that people watch on a daily basis. And she's asking him if 
if he thinks that his message is too exclusivist and he has more viewers than her? Yes. Interesting. Hey, we're making sense of this movie right out of the gate. (laughs) You know how we're an unpartial news source and you have more viewers than us, more people watch you, but are you being exclusionary? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. Oh. <laughs> Luke, I'd like to tell you that that's the only thing in this entire movie that uh, doesn't have sound reasoning for it, but Zach's going to talk about the next scene now. Uh, before we leave the news station, the journalist lady then asks John's opinion about the Faith and Fairness Act which would force ministers to deliver their message in a way that promotes and gives fairness to other religions. And to this, John is like, freedom's costly, and sometimes you need to defend it with blood. Which, you know, as Jesus said, turn the other cheek, so it goes hand in hand with the biblical narrative. So, yeah, this whole movie revolves around this uh, Faith and Fairness Act that uh, you can't say that you're the only way to get to heaven, you can allude to that, but you have to give other religions uh, a fair shake. So, don't ask for details about that, because they really don't give them. It's very confusing, but that's the gist of it. <laughs> so, John is the minister of this community church movement called Truth Live. And, um, well, at, at one of the services, John's assistant, Ryan is warming up the crowd with the world's most terrible jokes. <laughs> like... You didn't like these? For example... No, they were really dumb. Like, uh... I don't mean to say anything about John's past, but he's the only preacher I've ever met that orders the communion wine and kegs. <laughs> See, I thought that was funny. <laughs> no, I was dumb. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I don't mean to say that he's meticulous, but John's the only guy or preacher I've ever met that irons his Bible. Her to her to her. So as uh, Ryan is just killing it with this Truth Live crowd, because they're the most popular program in the world. With jokes like that, that's totally believable. And um, John's in his dressing room... <laughs> getting ready and he gets ready by like chanting random words to himself in the mirror and then he shadow boxes for a while it's real weird i mean i don't know about you before i get up and preach i I do a few rounds with old muhammad ali in my head myself uh (laughs) so this this guy's like never shadow boxed in my life really have you ever got in a couple rounds shadow boxing before you take the pulpit zach no, but I did what Ryan did later and shadow boxed a fly. Did you notice that? There was a fly ah, and he, he threw a couple of fake punches at it. Ryan, is this the like the main character, the guy he's like sixty or so? No, Ryan is uh John, the main character's assistant. Oh, okay. He's like the associate minister of Truth Live. But uh John's boxing is interrupted when Senator Donald comes in. Because, of course, you need a senator villain in a faith-based movie these days. (laughs) Don't leave home without it! 
And the senator wants John to support his faith and fairness bill. But John says, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not right. Well, the senator's not going to take John's slight lying down. After all, old Donald had, has, quote, reached the terminal end of his patience with the preacher. So how does John respond to this? He violently kisses the senator's cheek. And, after an annoying pep talk by Ryan, goes on stage to deliver his message. So he wants the, the he wants John's support to get the population or the, the 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 citizens of America behind this faith and fairness act. Well, if John, the most influential preacher ever, is uh, supporting it, then it must not be too bad. But John's like, I'm not going to do that. Mwah! And he kisses his cheek after grabbing the back of his neck and violently pulling him towards uh, his face. Now, ever- violent kissing. There's been a lot of violent kissing I mean, in, the, it, in the recent episodes. It, I'm, I'm just saying, uh, it was. He said what it he was said. Intense. Why? Why? I don't understand that response. I, I assume that. Well, the senator's a member of his church, so you know how you kiss all the members of your church. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I stopped that after COVID <laughs> happened, but yeah, I used to go around violently kissing everyone. I don't know. It, it's implied that the senator gave Truth Live a lot of money when they were starting out, and uh, the senator feels he John owes him a favor, uh, but John just, you know, kisses him, and that's the end. So, uh, he, he okay. go, I mean, I, I, that's all I can tell you, because that's all the movie tells us. So, uh, John goes on stage, he delivers an alright sermon, I guess, and, um, but he does speak in this sermon against the Faith and Fairness Bill, and so Senator Donald makes a phone call and, uh, puts a plan into action. As John is preaching, a creepy agent, and you can tell he's an agent, or an agent because he has one of those spiral earpiece thingies, uh, picks up (laughs) a random black girl in his car. The first thing he does is says uh, to this girl, spit out your gum. And then he gives her a pill, which she takes without asking a single question. And it really has no effect on her. But the movie put it in there, I assume, because pills are bad. So he, where does he get this girl? Uh, just the street. She just, she, yeah, just, she just comes just, up and just knocks dro- on the window. I think it's supposed to be implied <laughs> that she's a prostitute because she like knocks on the window. And then he's like, get in. And then she's like okay, and then he's like, spit out your gum, and she's like, okay, take this pill, okay, and then he says the creepiest line in the whole movie, get ready for a ride like you've never had, and I'm like, whoa, Pure Flicks, whoa. What's what's going on here? I come onto this this website to get away from language like that. But to be true, or to be fair, uh, that's exactly what happens. I doubt that this prostitute girl person has ever uh, taken a car ride to a community megachurch to take pictures with the preacher. But that's exactly what happens. The creepy agent delivers her and is like, John, take a picture with my daughter. And John's like, let me put my arm around her and get real close so you can take a whole bunch of damning pictures. Don't, don't, don't. You with us so far there, Luke? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I am. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, later that evening, John is driving home remembering a conversation that he had earlier with his daughter. His daughter asks John if he is coming to her dance recital. And then John's wife answers uh, the daughter's question with the most ridiculous clarity I have ever heard a question be answered in my life. Daddy, are you going to be at my recital? Sweetheart, Daddy has a super important board meeting at the exact same time. He can't make it. It's dumb. John... (laughs) (laughs) But John does promise to be there in the morning to bring his daughter breakfast in bed. And that line, breakfast in bed, is so funny to John that present day John, he's driving down the road, he's just cracking himself up thinking about breakfast in bed. Matter of fact, we know that's what he's thinking about laughing because he goes, <laughs> breakfast in bed as he's driving. It's dumb. Why is that funny? I don't know. Good good question. But he found it why funny. Is it always a, we need to. Why is it always a dance recital? It's always a dance recital. They're always going to miss the dance recital. Well, it's never like for the board something else. <laughs> like every girl is a ballerina. I assume that all these movies are written by the same three people. <laughs> and so they like, just they, they just have they just, they just have like blocks like boilerplate chunks of movies that they just insert in different order in, in order to come up with something <laughs> but uh, before he can make it home to his breakfast in bed John is flagged down by the young girl the senator picked up earlier but he doesn't recognize her and so he pulls over to help only to be stabbed with a needle that the creepy agent apparently found in the 1800s Loop this noodle, or this noodle. (laughs) (laughs) It was a real noodle, too, not the Crayola kind. (laughs) Picture in your head, like, turn-of-the-century dentistry. Like, you see those horrifying (laughs) tools and those needles that are, like, a foot and a half long and, like, two two inches in diameter. (laughs) That's what he was holding in his hand. Like, the world's oldest uh, epidermic needle. And he just goes up, stabs John right in the neck, and he goes down. Right in the neck. Um, next thing we know, John and the girl are in the back of his car as the creepy agent drives down the road. And she's rubbing up on him and taking selfies. And the creepy agent's enjoying himself and gives helpful hints like, scratch his face. And the girl says provocative things like, you gonna teach me a lesson? And... You're a bad boy, preacher man. Now, during this 30-second scene, the entire scene is focused on the creepy driver's face. The entire time. Yes. He's enjoying And he's this just driving and looking over his shoulder the whole time. I get it. I don't want to see anybody do this. Why? I don't want to see his face reacting to the noises that are happening in the background either. It was, so I'm confused. They're in the back of her they're in the back of this dude's car. The preacher's he's car. The back of the preacher's car. They stole the preacher's car. Oh, okay. He's drugged in the back He's seat. Dr- is he, like, unconscious? Yes, he is completely out of it. She's making Remember, creepy... he got... Uh, she's making creepy statements and and seductive statements, right? Yes, and her spaghetti... Is she film- Spaghetti strap of her shirt... Or shoulder... Or of her shirt. The spaghetti strap of her shirt is uh, down on her forearm. So you know... It's provocative. When you've got a fallen spaghetti and strap in a Christian movie, <laughs> you know that's a sign of prostitution. <laughs> this is Amish showing ankle. 
<clears throat> so is she? What is she doing? Filming this? She just has like a camera hold up, and she's like smiling for selfie. She's like duck lipping the whole time, just like, oh, look at you, bad preacher. Click pictures. Okay, so she's not like making this. She's not like making a fake. This isn't going to be seen by the public. Oh, yes, it is. Because oh, how yes. is she going to frame it? How's she going to frame him for rape if she's like clearly making all these statements that she's complicit with? Hey, Luke, just wait, wait, just doings. wait for a but second. Wait, there's more. Okay, there, this okay. this ride of her life isn't done yet. I see. Now keep in mind they're in Washington D.C. and uh, they drive the preacher's car to one of Washington D.C.'s famous deserted wildernesses right off the highway, where you can still see cars driving down the road, and decide that's the spot where we're going to uh, frame this murder. And uh, the creepy agent and the girl get out of the car, and the creepy agent backhands the girl to death. (laughs) Thus is why we were concerned you were late to join us today. So, (laughs) the girl is dead. (sighs) Now there's all these pictures of her and John together in compromising positions. And, well, John's DNA is underneath her fingers because she scratched his face, but that is never brought up. Not one time is that brought up in the movie. So don't you think that hard. Don't you do it. But they uh, successfully frame uh, uh, John for this young woman's rape and murder. But John comes to just in time, and she runs away. And he, and he, and he runs away, I should say. John comes to just in time and runs away. As more cops come to the scene to help the agent stage this scene with their lights on. Right beside a busy highway where you can see cars through the trees drive past. Because you know nobody rubbernecks and pays attention when cops stop a deserted area in clear view of the highway with their lights on. Especially in Washington, D.C. It's so dumb. So the cops come... So the girl's dead. She's been backhanded to death. Backhanded to death. The agents, the agents, still there. Yep. These the, cops the are cops on the show up. The cops are on the creepy agent side. He called the cops to help him. Oh, okay. But oh, the, okay. They're right. helping stage everything. But the gotcha. cops show up right. with their lights on because it's stupid. Um. So John's running away, and as he's running, there's some people in hoodies watching the whole thing happen on a cliff with their phones out. And before John runs further into the wilderness of D.C., he stops for a long time, long enough for the girl in the hoodie with her phone to just just take as many pictures of him as she possibly could want. And then he runs maybe another hundred yards before checking his pulse for some reason and passing out. So John is now a hundred yards away from this murder-rape scene. Passed out. Nobody finds him. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We're not going to comb the area. <laughs> Don't. We're not going to look for clues. But wait, Luke. There's a thousand more things that don't make sense here. <laughs> like well, trying to put this don't waste in all my your head. time on this. <clears throat> well, John wakes up in one of those famous DC rural suburbs that you know about, and he uh, <laughs> walks for a minute before stopping at a gas station. And asks for the bathroom. Never mind the fact that there is a police car parked right in front of the gas station. But never mind. It doesn't matter about that. There's no cop in there. Uh, well, 
the bathroom is for paying customer only. So John does what any of us would do, and that's his. Uh, he goes up to the the soda fountain and hits the water button and just starts washing his bloody face off with the water out of the soda fountain. It's gross. It's real gross. It's not what soda fountain water is for, John. You know the dumb the dumb thing with all this this entire scene here too is I would think if I'm working a gas station, somebody comes in looking like that, I'm calling the cops. I'm calling somebody. No, you got to give the cash. The guy finally leaves. You got to give the gas station attendant props, though. She was not about ready to go against her company's policy of letting somebody have the ga- or the bathroom key without paying. No, no way. <laughs> and then he leaves, and she just goes back to read no, the No, the best part, no, you, you missed just... one of the biggest things in the world. When she doesn't give him the bathroom key, John, just framed for murder, and rape looks at the gas station attendant and goes, "Don't you know oh, who yeah. I am?" What's well, a good thing she doesn't, John? Uh, because if so, uh, it's so dumb. Apparently, your reach isn't that far yet, big guy. Well, he leaves the uh, uh, gas station and then he runs into a van that's run by a charity. Because, as you know, there's famous charity vans in the famous rural community surrounding Washington <laughs> D.C. I have a question here. Yeah. So, okay, you've been you've been drugged, thrown in the back of your own car, and driven to this weird place. And the cops show up with their lights on. You don't know the cops are with the agent, right? So why doesn't he go up to the cops in the first place and be like, "Hey, I was drugged and I was drugged and thrown in the back of this car and kidnapped"? Because that would make sense. Well, if he if he does that, the movie would just have to take a different turn. He just runs into the wilderness of he, D.C. and it was like, well, this yeah. sounds like a better Which option. is why I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Because somebody may argue at this point, well, John doesn't know that he's being framed for rape and murder of this girl. Fair enough. But if he didn't know that, then why did he run away from the cops? Why does he keep running? I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if, well, he has to know it because he didn't do it. Well, if somebody... If somebody drugged me and kidnapped me i feel like that would be enough reason to go to the police i mean i wouldn't have to know that i was being framed for rape like i could go to the police on the kidnapping and drugging (laughs) charges that to me would seem somewhat reasonable you would think but don't worry about that all right. <laughs> well, and he has no clue. He has no clue where he's at, yeah, too. He's, he has no well, idea. I mean, you wake up in a rural suburb of Washington, D.C., you're going to be confused. Yeah. I've driven to that city plenty yeah. of times. There ain't too many rural suburbs around there. All right. So there's this charity van, which, by the way, has the logo logo for the senator's program on the back of the bumper sticker. That's never brought up, so you don't have to worry about that. But this charity woman works uh, uh, in associating with the Faith and Fairness Act. So, John goes up to this woman and asks to borrow her phone. And she she gives it to him. And then I don't know if, um, I don't know if this woman gives John her phone or if John steals her phone. But he uses this woman's phone every time he uses a phone for the rest of the movie. <laughs> <clears throat> Even though I think... Didn't he give it back to her, though, at the end of the no, scene? we don't see that. Uh, and, and what does he do with this phone? Well, he immediately calls home. I want to play a game throughout this review called Really Dumb Things That John Does in This Movie That Would Get a Normal Fugitive Arrested. That's one of them. Here's what we got so far. Number one, 
He stops and lets the ho- or <laughs> he stops and lets the hoodie girl take pictures of him. Number two, he stops running about ten yards from the murder scene. Number three, he goes into a gas station with a cop car in front of it. Number four, he brings attention to himself by asking the clerk, Do you know who I am? Number five, he calls his wife the morning of the attempted murder on a cell phone that can be triangulated. And by the way, we're less than 20 minutes into this movie. Hey, he doesn't. And he have, doesn't you, have you ever seen a movie where a similar situation happens? That the phone at the house is not already bugged so they can get the location. Because that, that's even better. On, so on the, so yeah. he calls his wife, and his wife answers the phone, and she goes, John, where are you? There are cops <laughs> in the room with her, just searching the house. Yeah. Going through all your stuff, and they're saying horrible things. They said you raped and murdered someone. Why don't the cops chase him? Uh, because so they're the senator- uh, legged so this senator bought the whole police force yes <laughs> right yep. of washington yep. dc to kill this one guy and yeah because of his and faith and fairness act how does he know he's a fugitive why does he assume he's a fugitive he he, he doesn't know of anything that he's done wrong right no but he acts like he does sometimes and sometimes he doesn't up until this phone call but this phone call does seal his entire uh, identity. He is now a man on the run. But he doesn't know why. No, his wife tells him in front of the cops uh, that he's being charged with rape and murder of this girl. Murder, yeah. He said, I didn't murder anybody. I was knocked out. He can't like go get a drug test and be like, this dude mollied me? No, that would be too too easy. Okay. Hey, Luke, in this entire movie, there is no... Rational chain of reaction. There's nothing <laughs> rational about this movie. So, uh, yeah, so the, the wife answers the phone, talks very loudly, and identifies that the person she's talking to on the phone is, in fact, John, <laughs> with cops in the house searching it. And uh, the cops don't notice because apparently this is the world famous Washington, D.C. hearing impaired detective force. And she tells. <laughs> huh? So when John hears this, he steals this poor charity woman's cell phone and then catches a ride to the Catholic Church with the charity lady. Uh, Catholic Church in Washington, D.C. So not only does he leave the city and escape it to a rural Washington, D.C. suburb, but then he decides the best course of action is to turn around and go back into the crowded city where he has become essentially America's most wanted. Nothing like hiding in plain sight. So he goes to this Catholic Church. And he goes to the priest of the church and says that he didn't hurt anyone. And thankfully, the priest believes him, believes that John's innocent. And this priest takes him into his study. And the priest tells John that he's just a pawn in a large political game based on lies and deceit, which gives John two choices. Which gives John two choices. One, give himself up and fall in the mercy of the courts. Or two, prove the truth. Well, of course, John's going to prove the latter. Thankfully, the priest has a dimly lit shower in his office for John to clean himself up dramatically. Also, the priest just happens to have a wad of cash and an old Volvo, which he just hands to John. So now John's got a Volvo, he's got a hoodie himself on, that's his only disguise, there's a hoodie and a pair of aviators, and a wad of cash. Now we're set for this to take off. He'll never be noticed. (laughs) 
Then the senator... He'll blend in like the trees on the street. (laughs) The senator calls John's assistant, Ryan, into his office and convinces Ryan to take the lead of Truth Live, the Truth Live Church. And the reason why he chose Ryan is because, quote, Ryan has a boatload of people on his email database, so he can just shoot a quick email and calm the folks down. <laughs> you, can buy the you, police. Sick? Yeah, you can buy out the police, but you can't acquire <laughs> people's email addresses. But with uh, Ryan as the leader of this Truth, in Li- or Truth Live church, uh, Senator Donald finally has the ministry he needs in his pocket. And the guy who plays Ryan is just an awful, awful, awful actor. He's just bad. He's like Dave... Bad actor and a bad man. It's like if Dave Coulier from Full House, the guy that played... um, Joey. Joey, The guy that played Joey from Full House. If he could not act and he wasn't funny, this would be that guy. So the next thing John decides to do is walk into a hotel and ask for a room for the night. (laughs) But he has... He can't give an ID. (laughs) He has no credit card. And when the clerk brings that up to him, he's just hands her a hundred dollar bill and was like, "Will that work?" No, no, it won't. <laughs> and he just acts like a weirdo. He acts like the most conspicuous person of all time. So of course, the clerk is the only rational person in this entire movie. She goes to the back room and says, "Hey, there's a weirdo in the hotel." But John senses something with his spidey sense apparently and leaves the hotel for the cops can show up. Hey, Luke. He yes. comes into the hotel. He's got his hood up, his aviator glasses on. <laughs> He's got a monster mark down the side of his face. A scratch mark. Okay. That she looks at him and goes, "Is there something wrong with your eyes?" <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, I, I like to do business with my hood up and sunglasses on. That always makes people feel at ease. I, I will say though, for all these movies, many, many faults, the guy that plays John is a good actor. And he does he his very best with this script. But anyway, so John can't get a hotel for the night. So you're a fugitive on the run. You can't get a hotel. Where are you going to go? Well, if you're John, you're going to drive to your house. <laughs> and sit, sit along the street. <laughs> As a cop drives past you slowly, you're just going to turn your head slightly to the right, and the cop's not going to notice you. Yeah, why would that cop not stop and say, what's going on here, sir? Under no circumstances ever would that cop not peck on the window and say, you doing okay? Something going on? So uh, he, he sees Ryan's car in the driveway, so we're taken inside the house where Ryan has an acoustic guitar... And he's singing a mate. <laughs> this is this has got to be by far the dumbest part of this entire movie. He has an acoustic guitar and he's singing a Amazing Grace to John's wife. And John's wife is like, "Stop!" <laughs> She's just like, "Stop doing that!" And I'm like, "Thank you." <laughs> Under. Under what circumstance ever would that be okay? 24 hours ago, your husband accused of murder, rape, he's a missing fugitive, and in his understudy or his assistants, singing Amazing Grace. Well, you see, is, is, is he like, that sed- 
he's like seducing her is what 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 is this he's trying but even in this poorly written movie he's failing i don't think that you could <laughs> yeah, write in the I mean... script ryan seduces john's wife and he's able to do it but after he gets done singing amazing grace because that's your favorite right he pours a glass of wine for her and says, I'm not going to let you feel bad about what happened. Ryan, you dummy, it's been a day, all right? You singing weird songs to her and, and trying to kumbaya is not going to make somebody feel good a day after you find out that your husband's potentially a rapist slash murderer. Yeah, he, he sings a song, he pours her a glass of white wine, then he punches her playfully on the shoulder while he explains that she needs to get over uh, when he explains that she needs to get over her husband, and he calls her kiddo about three different times. And all of this culminates that, yes, I know it's a character this guy plays, but if I see the actor that plays Ryan in real life, it's going to be a struggle for me <laughs> not to punch him across his stupid jaw. And I won't stop you. Matter of fact, I would encourage you. That's a guy, Zach. You just go ahead, punch. He's got it coming. I mean, he deserves it. He really so, does. Yeah. John's wife isn't ready to give up on her boo, so so Ryan just leaves disappointed. And John sits in his car, fugitive John, sits in his car for a little while longer. And then finally drives away from his house. <sighs> what was he doing there? Just sitting there. Just in the couldn't Volvo. get a hotel, so where else... Oh no, he picks a better place to sleep. Don't worry. Uh, I, I, Luke, I would love nothing more than to answer that question for you, but I don't even think the producers of this movie know the answer to that. And I don't want to tell Probably you now. Probably knew a slimy assistant. It'll ruin the absolute stupidity of where he does spend the night. So, <laughs> real quick, the movie kind of makes a picture that it's late at night. Just a late night uh, acoustic Amazing Grace being played. Uh, but Ryan leaves the house and then goes to a board meeting. They're having like a, a board meeting for Truth Lives Church at 2.30 in the morning. Just a bunch of old farts sitting around here. And he convinces all the board to turn their backs on John and sign and support the senator's faith and fairness legislation. And how do you how does he do this you ask Luke? He points out that the bill offers every member of the board a quote very generous tax advantage package end quote, which is nonsense words, but the board is immediately in agreement with Ryan. <laughs> Governmental special interest. Hey, don't worry. We get this very generous tax advantage package. Calm, <laughs> calm down, H&R Block. What in the world is happening? <laughs> That's the best that they could offer, tax advantages. Yeah, well. It was enough. Times are tough up there on Cap. <laughs> times are tough up there on Capitol Hill, Luke. <laughs> so John still needs a place to sleep. He can't sleep in front of his wife's house. He can't sleep in a hotel. So where does a fugitive on the run from the law, sleep the night after you're framed for rape and murder. If you think the scene of the crime's a dumb idea, well, you're not John, because that's exactly what he does. He drives and parks and sleeps at the scene of the crime. It's only like, it's only like three locations in D.C., like his job, his house, and a crime scene. 
why does he stay why does he what i mean what is his motive for like staying in dc is it just because he has to prove the truth some, uh, okay oh i forgot to tell you because too the priest said i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to copy this and put it back i i, I didn't write it down because because i just remembered it when john drives away with the volvo for the first time the priest has the world's largest cigar in his mouth and he's smoking that stogie and is like godspeed john so john parks at the scene of the crime then in case he's not conspicuous enough turns on his cargo light and reads out loud psalm 139 <sighs> which is the psalm of, of David uh, when Saul's chasing him, saying, if there's any iniquity found in me, let my enemies chase me down, destroy me, whatever. Uh, uh, that night, he dreams of the time his wife helped him get through alcohol withdrawal, and then he wakes up and goes into a trailer that houses something, because there's a sign that says American Woman on the side of it, but no other details as to what this place is. Could be a cat house. Could be a nudie store. Well, it turns out that it was a tattoo Just shop. Use your imagination. And Luke, let me tell you, this tattoo shop is exactly what someone who has never been in a tattoo shop in their life thinks a tattoo <laughs> shop should look like. <laughs> I mean, it's Pure Flix making the movie, so what do you expect? I mean, it's like it's like if the, that sweet old lady at church who's real disappointed that Preacher Zach has a tattoo, uh, uh, if she was asked, hey, can you imagine what a tattoo shop's like? She would come up with this. It was dirty. All the people in there were strung out clearly on drugs. They were super excited that John was a fugitive for some reason. And are, that, are tattoo shops not like that? No, they're not. They're very sterile and clean because uh, they're mm. injecting ink underneath your skin. And uh, uh, yeah, it's just gross. And then this, the main drug addict lady walks out and she's all smiling because she was written by someone who wanted to pretend that they knew what drugs were like without ever actually seeing or experiencing them. <laughs> well, she's she comes out, she's like, sorry for the mess. I try to pick up, but these two guys don't help. To which the tattoo artist in the back goes, you be quiet, you scorpion woman. Is that the actual line? Yes. I'm not even joking. <laughs> Scott, did he not call her a scorpion woman? It's, Thank he did, you. He did. Hey, Luke. Yes. Hey, but wait, there's more. <laughs> so John's there, and he asks these drug addicts if they saw anything the night he was framed. And guess what? Not only did they see something, they taped it on their phones. But they aren't just going to give John the video for free. It's going to cost him. But what does it cost him? No idea. We're not told. And the price is never brought up again. But he does get the evidence. How's he get what it? What do you suppose? I, I, it's a good question. You have to use your imagination. Literally, the movie ends with the girl going, but we need to be taken care of too. And this evidence is going to cost you. That's where the movie ends. Or, or that's where the scene ends. It moves on. Uh, next scene, outside Truth Live's office is Ryan is picked up by some FBI agents who really need to talk to him. Next scene, cut to the priest from earlier walking into a meeting held by the senator about the Faith and Fairness Act. While there, the priest and the creepy agent lock eyes. The next scene, 
John calls the priest. Oh, and by the way, the priest is his dad now. He just calls him dad completely out of the blue. Like 12 times in this scene. Not one time are we ever told that the priest in the beginning of the movie is his dad. But in this scene, he's like, hey, dad, remember you're my dad. Hey, uh, uh, dad, what's going on? I got some evidence, dad. Everything's awesome, dad. And the priest is like, John, son. Son, you need to listen to me, son. Uh, you can't go to the cops with that evidence. It's not that simple, son. And so they meet in another one of D.C.'s heavily forested areas, and the priest hands John a picture of the senator with the murdered girl. Then he explains that the senator's legislation is all about persecuting and silencing Christians and that the eyes are look or the eyes of the world are looking at John and looking for a symbol of truth against phony politicians. And this finally makes John realize that the senator's a bad guy. Duh. And if these series of events don't make a lot of sense to you, I'm sorry, I'm telling you exactly what the movie told us. Here's that here. uh, part about being her, being his dad, a little too on the nose. It wasn't. All, it was like a. It was like a. You know the backhand that killed that girl earlier in the movie. <laughs> it was real close to that for the movie watcher because out of nowhere they're just father and son. <laughs> and so who? Tell me again who? Um, the agent and the senator they lock eyes, and then no, the priest. Uh, the priest goes into this meeting. With a whole bunch of other religious leaders, and he locks eyes okay. with the agent, and somehow in that locking eye stare down, he is given the picture of the senator with this girl that was murdered. I don't know. He aired, like like he air dropped it through his mind. No ex no explanation. Yeah. And how did he get from that meeting to a printer to print out this picture of the girl to hand it to John? No idea. He stopped at Walmart Photo Center on the way there. Hey Luke, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's a loose end or two in this movie. I uh, I guess priests maybe priests can extract things from your mind. Maybe that's something we don't know about. Okay, I'm taking two more points off just because of that. Thought. <laughs> His dad <laughs> says he can't go to the police with this evidence. Why not? No real answer given, but John just accepts. He it. knows they're bought. He knows their bot. He read that from the agent's mind, too. But the good news is that John's dad rented his son a hotel room so he can get cleaned up. And then the dumbest thing I've ever seen in a movie happens. John hands his dad the flash drive with the evidence that he was framed on it because he's an idiot. And then he leaves. There is no reason... <laughs> Cut! There is no reason for him to do this. None whatsoever. He just does it. Well, maybe he thinks if he's captured, his dad will still have the evidence. I'm sorry, but if I'm captured for the perceived rape and murder of a girl, I sure hope I have a flash drive with a bunch of evidence that I didn't do it on my person. Yeah, but maybe he, sus okay. he suspects that the police are bought now, and so... He has to keep the evidence safe. Yeah, or this movie's dumb, and the evidence needed to be with his dad for the scene to happen in 15 seconds. Okay. Only in the movies, man. Only in the movies. So what does John do next? If you think that he drives to his place of work because he just hasn't been there yet since this whole thing went down, well, then you're right. That's what he does. He drives to Truth Live's parking garage, where he meets Ryan and hands him a piece of paper with the address of his hotel on it to give to his wife. If you're keeping score at home and are uh, really dumb things that John does in this movie that would get a normal fugitive arrested, 
Well, here's some more you can add on to after the cell phone. Number one, he goes to his father's church. Number two, he parks in front of his house the day after he's framed for murder. Number three, he tries to rent a hotel room without a driver's license. Number four, he returns and sleeps at the scene of the crime. Number five, he gives his dad the only flash drive that contains evidence that he was innocent. Number six, he goes to his place of business and hides in a very open parking garage until his friend Ryan shows up. Number six... He gives Ryan a piece of paper that has his hotel address where he's staying on it. There's no way this man's going to get caught, Zach. He's why too didn't sneaky. He just, why didn't he just meet his wife? I don't know. Why didn't he use the cell phone that he uses in a couple of scenes after this to call her? <laughs> that night, the senator is awoken by a phone call from the President of the United States of America. The president tells a story about a time when he was eight or nine and found a full-grown rattlesnake and strangled it to death with his bare hands. Then he asks the senator if the senator understood the meaning of the president's story. Of course Donald doesn't understand because the story's meaningless. <laughs> hey, you know who this president is, don't you? He's Barack Obama. No, and it's not, nope. it's not Bill Clinton either. No, it is, No, it's dude. not. I'll tell you exactly who it is. I, the guy that plays the president is a cardiologist that paid for this movie to be made. But he's portraying No, he's Bill not. Clinton. He's portraying a bad actor. He's portraying a guy that bought his <laughs> way into a movie. Which is Bill Clinton. I mean, maybe that's who he was channeling, but even Bill Clinton would act better than that guy. <sighs> You're right. They should have just went ahead and got Bill Clinton. Yeah, because Bill Clinton... Bill been Clinton's better. like, oh, yeah, Bill, What's this? Bill. Is this pure flicks? All right, I'll be there. <laughs> Bill, Bill, Clinton, get a, Bill Clinton that was asked and he looked at the script and he said yeah, <laughs> I've been involved in some shady things before in my life but this this is a no no get out of the house for the Hillary for five minutes I'm there can I play my saxophone it's a ruin my career so uh, uh yeah so <laughs> the president basically just calls up to him about this snake story <laughs> and then he says that he's just washing the hands of the whole John thing and this meaningless, not needed, confusing scene is over. Is the president? Wait, so, in, I, so I don't know. Does he explain the the meaning? No, not once. He tells. So is the, the meaning that John's John's the rattlesnake who has the poison and he has to be killed? No, I, I, I the, the most I get from it is that the senator's actually the rattlesnake, and he needs to choke it to death, so that way a rattlesnake can't bite his family. I think. Whose family? The president's family? I don't know. Somehow the president's involved <laughs> in this because of this stupid scene that makes no sense. And if it goes back on him that the president ordered the death of the most popular televangelist that ever lived or was involved in it in some way, it probably doesn't uh, uh, bold too well for his re-election chances. President scene's over. If you're confused, join the club. Next thing we know is the creepy agent and a friend, the creepy agent's friend, are, are sneaking through the woods with hairnets on that they apparently got from my grandmother's bathroom cupboard. They have giant hairnets on, Luke. They look like mushroom people. Why? Apparently to keep their hair Good follicles question. in, I'm thinking. But the only hairnets they could find was from an 80-year-old woman that has hairnets. Like, it, it looks... And they're, they're outside? Yeah. They're walking through the woods. Uh, meanwhile, the movie wants us to really know that John's swimming. So during this whole next scene, they just keep cutting to him swimming laps. 
His dad's at his computer. Why is he? Why is he? What, he's just getting in some exercise? He's like, well, I'm a fugitive, but I need to stay healthy. Well, he's a little stressed. He needs <laughs> to burn some that, of that energy. Yeah, he's got off. that hotel key. He hasn't slept anywhere except the scene of the crime the past 48 hours, so he has enough energy to go just do some swimming. <laughs> so his dad's sitting at his desk. Now, the priest slash dad, full-on conspiracy theory nut, He's got all the newspaper clippings for the last two days cut out with, with thumbtacks in them and red string going from one tack to another. He's figuring this crime out. Well, he puts the flash drive into the computer and then calls John, but John doesn't answer because John's swimming. Ah, that's why he was swimming, so he couldn't answer his phone. And says, hey, John, I think we got something here. Well, no, duh. You literally have video evidence of the entire setup for this staged murder-slash-rape scene. Of course you got something there, you moron. But anyways, he hangs up the phone, and then the creepy guy's hand and a gun just slowly creeps into the frame, and then, boom, blows his dad's head wide open. And now we've But he got can't nothing. hear it because he's swimming. No, John's, in, John's yeah. at the hotel in, in Washington, D.C. This is rural. Suburb oh. Washington, D.C., oh, okay. where the priest is at. And I will say, okay. for a movie, uh, the gunshot wound on the dad's head is pretty graphic. I mean, apparently they shot him with, Damn. like, a two-inch cannonball and not, you know, the normal forty-five that they were pointing at his head, but it, it was graphic. So... Can I ask an, uh, maybe an obvious question here? How does a priest have a son? <sighs> <laughs> See, Luke... When a priest loves a priestess. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, of all the people that they could have filled in to, to be his dad, well, my, they got a priest. My favorite part is that in a scene later, he goes and talks to uh, some other priests that work at his dad's church. And he's like, your priest is my father. And then I'm like, oh, you tell a Catholic priest that, they're going to be real confused about what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, that priest understands completely right away. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, so his dad's dead now, and the creepy agent takes the gun and puts it in the dad's hand, and then steals all his stuff. So my only thinking is, they want it to stage as a suicide. So in my mind, I'm an investigator just on the scene. All of his computers and valuables are taken. So this guy walked in and said, I've been robbed, and then shot himself because of that. Yep. Which is the natural response to being robbed, of course, in this movie. I'm assuming they like haven't made any copies of this USB. They haven't uploaded to the cloud. It's no. just like this one USB. No. Yep, just yeah, the, why, that's it. Why, why didn't he give his dad a copy? That's a great question. You can go to Walmart right now and buy yourself a second USB port. You can go, but Zach, I, I don't have a computer. It's fine. It's fine. Don't you worry about it. They make a dongle. You can put it up to your phone. Look at that. You all, Look at that. Video's on my phone. Dongle out one USB, put it in another USB. I've got two copies of this data that, that gives me freedom. But no, we're going to be stupid about this the entire movie. So dad's dead. John shows up five minutes later, and uh, uh, the agents are gone, even though they were in, they had to have been in the room when John's dad called his son and said, hey, you need to come over here, I've got something for you to see. That was the message John's dad left on the answering machine. 
the agents thought, you know, maybe we shouldn't wait for John to show up because that's probably where he's going to be next. We should leave. Give him some time to cope with his father's death. <sighs> well, they don't want to kill him or capture him, right? They just want no, to tarnish th- no, they want, his reputation. They want him out of the picture. Don't know why. Why didn't they just kill him in the first place then? Why go through all this prostitute crap? Because then, because if you did that, they wouldn't have a movie. <laughs> Like, we'll, we'll frame him for this and then kill him. No, they they need to tarnish he's like, his... These logical questions. They need to tarnish his reputation before they kill him. That way nobody feels bad that they killed him. Uh, okay. I get it. No, you don't. It doesn't make sense. Don't don't pretend like this movie makes sense. <laughs> okay, so the agents are well, gone. Well, he would be a, a martyr. You know, if he died early. Right. An untimely death. He, he might be seen as a martyr. So they have to... You know, get him on a few things and make him look terrible, and then he they can get rid of get rid of him, and then nobody will care. Well, John gets They'll to be like, oh, our what we stood for is it was all a lie. Mm-hmm. Well, John John gets to his dad's, and then he stops and puts his forehead on his dad's body, ensuring that his DNA is left at yet another crime scene. Then <laughs> he picks up his dad's rosary. Point beads. number next. This is the best part. He picks up his dad's rosary beads and the murder weapon. He picked up the gun that shot his dad, leaving his fingerprints all over that as well. Then he goes out to his dad. His dad has this beautiful cabin that I don't know what priests are making these days, but he must have been loaded because this is a beautiful cabin. And he goes out to this balcony of this cabin and just screams at the top of his lungs, Are you not true to your name? No idea who he's referring to, whether he's talking to his dad, God, himself, uh, his girlfriend in high school who gave him a fake name because he was a creep. I don't know. But he shouts this, making sure that if the neighbors who just heard a gunshot uh, wasn't concerned about the ruckus going on next door, well, they certainly would be now because some lunatic is shouting to the moon. So is this uh, this cabin? Is this in rural Washington D.C. as yep. well? Yep, rural Washington D.C. At the Hotel Blue, the hotel whose address John handed to Ryan earlier, the FBI agents that talked to Ryan earlier in the movie are fitting him with a wire. They ask if Ryan had any more contact with John, and Ryan says no. Then, out of nowhere, the FBI is like, "Well, that's fine. We don't really care about Ryan. We really want information about Senator Donald." Because this movie makes no sense. So, could you do that for us? And Ryan's like, I ain't got nothing on the senator. Oh, look, here's a fly in this scene. I better box with it. He boxes with a fly in this scene, Luke. And by the way... While going through this FBI investigation, basically? Yeah, he's being fitted with a wire in the room that John's dad rented him. John drives back to the hotel, but sees government plates on the back of a car... So, he goes to a late-night Catholic communion service at his father's church instead. But, uh, John goes to this... He he takes the Eucharist. And then, even though he's not Catholic, (laughs) he just stands in line, gets his little piece of bread, uh, the body of Christ, and moves on. And then, John goes to this younger priest and tells him that his dad was executed. And then, he tells the young priest that he needs help. And the young priest is like, I, I totally get that. That's fine. Who cares that, that my, my, uh, my, my boss, the main pastor, or the main father here, just got capped. Never mind the fact I just found out he had a son. I'll just help this stranger that's been on the news for the last two and a half days. 
I'm all in. And here's in. the best part about this. This priest is not needed whatsoever. This younger priest. He's just there now for the rest <laughs> of the movie for no reason. After getting the young priest to help him, John then goes to a uh, Senator Donald's Faith and Fairness rally. But nobody recognizes him because he's wearing a priest collar and robes. And he's carrying around rosary beads. Never mind the fact that he does nothing to his hair or anything to his face to disguise him. Because he's got these robes on and this collar, nobody, nobody gives a hoot or a holler. But at the rally, he's. Did you recognize me if, if I donned the collar? Yeah, Luke, because you'd look the same and I'm not blind. I'd be like, Luke, why are you wearing Catholic garments? That'd be my question. See you walking down the street. Hey, Luke, Luke Taylor, is that you? Why are you dressed up like a father? I'd say, no, it's not me. I mean, like, yeah, it is. I like how he, rec- he, he's like, don't you recognize me to the gas station attendant? <laughs> and then he goes into this mob <laughs> and he's like, no one will notice me. But uh, he sees Ryan sitting uh, at this table next to like a rabbi and uh, an imam. And he, he's like, ah, oh, Ryan betrayed me. After the rally, John gets back in the car and the young priest who's now driving him around for some reason. That's all the young priest does the rest of this movie is drive John around for no reason. John's perfectly <laughs> capable of driving. He needed to borrow the guy's outfit. <laughs> then he goes to a Chinese massage parlor where the senator, immediately after leaving this rally, decides to go for a little pampering. And he sees the senator in a bathrobe. And John confronts the senator and says he wants to know the truth about why the senator framed him. And he's serious because, remember, he has a gun. I will give you $100 if you tell me the reason why the senator framed him. Luke, I'm not even joking. I will PayPal it for, to you right now. For the for the rape and murder? No, why? I'll, I'll, I'll give you another guess. Why was it so important to get the Faith and Fairness Act bill through? Oh, I've been wondering that. Like, what's the government's angle on this? Um, Because the president's a Muslim. No. Terrorism. <laughs> What? That's his reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> yep. How? Uh... <laughs> John's like, why'd you do this to me? And the sinner's like, is it obvious terrorism? He, he says that. The only way I could. S- just in case someone has a nuclear bomb in a temple or a mosque somewhere, the senator can't get to them now because he doesn't have oversight. But with his Faith and Fairness Act, apparently that lets him just walk into any mosque and temple worldwide and find nuclear bombs. Because you can't send police into a mosque I, or a church currently? Apparently not. This is all about terrorism. This is like the old days like of like the Middle Ages where the cathedral was considered holy. And if you ran in there, like you could have, you know, you had, uh, what's the word? amnesty or something right you you couldn't be arrested right because the police couldn't follow you sanctuary (laughs) it's like the running to the horns of the altar in the um right old testament oh i i completely get it now okay as if that was a real thing well john pistol whips the senator (laughs) (laughs) how he got into this massage parlor is not explained whatsoever (laughs) How he's able to get out of the massage parlor with the senator there. And apparently you would think Secret Service uh, is not there. But what John does do is set up a little tiny GoPro mount. So he can record the back of the senator's head. So that way there is no way you can actually identify him as he's confessing to all of this stuff. So now he has 
a GoPro that has uh, the senator saying he did it all for terrorism. And you're thinking, well, John's got to get this off. Got to get this out to the media. And you'd be right, except for John decides that the next place he needs to visit is his daughter's preschool. <laughs> to uh, creepily... Breakfast in bed. To walk straight up to the gate of the playground and stare creepily through it at all the kids playing. <laughs> and he says a little prayer and leaves. Never mind the fact that this little girl's dad was just indicted for rape and murder two days ago. Her mom it must be cold and heartless. Be like, hey, I know you're sad your daddy's not coming home, but you need to get to school. Or... <laughs> the ABCs aren't going to learn themselves, sweetie. Never mind the fact that, you know, of all the places the police should be staking out, the house, the murder scene, and their daughter's preschool, probably top three along with his offices. It doesn't matter. Alright, so then John heads to Truth Lives headquarters where Ryan is leading yet another board meeting. He was asked, uh, Ryan is asked to lead a long closing prayer, and boy is it long. It's so long that it gives John enough time to dramatically slowly walk through the building, to the elevator, into the elevator, up to the top floor where there's another corridor for him to continue to walk slowly and dramatically down. As the people in the corridor are taking down John's pictures... And putting up Ryan's two days. <laughs> and he and he walks into the board meeting. Where and then John by gunpoint forces Ryan and the board to go through their slides on their slideshow that show how fine or how they're all benefiting financially from supporting the senator's bill. And John's like, oh, this is wrong. I was making $3 million, but you're making $6 million? That's too far. Is he filming that this on his GoPro? The line. No, he's not, not. As a matter of fact, he's not filming on his GoPro, nor did he think to take their cell phones away, because Ryan has enough time to text one of the FBI agents, hey, John's here. <laughs> I feel like he maybe should have got this on his GoPro as well. But don't worry, because... Um, the the FBI agents that John te or that Ryan texts are already listening to the meeting on the wire that Ryan has worn not only the night before at the hotel but continued to wear at this meeting. Anyways, they're listening to this meeting and then the FBI storms the building as John throws hundreds of dollars in the air. Where he got that money, I don't know, but he's basically tossing over the the collection plates or or turning over the 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 the, the, the marketplace like Jesus did in the temple, but this is just a wad of fat stacks that he just tosses in the air. It's raining hundreds. He's like, you want money? Here, take all this money. Never mind the fact it was the money my dad gave me before he died. Don't worry about that. Make it rain. <laughs> is he just emotionally, uh, he's emotionally caught up and he has a, John has he been, has a moment. John has been he... walking around with thousands of dollars of cash in his pocket. Waiting for this moment, I feel. <laughs> yeah. So the FBI, are the, is the FBI also bought by the senator? Hold on a second. We'll find out. The FBI are storming this building. Hey, Luke. But wait. Yes. There's more. So the FBI are storming this building. John's tossing hundreds in the air, throws his gun down on the table, and then leaves. And he gets to the stairwell, and he can see the FBI agents watching up the stairs. And John starts going up. But the next thing we see is John on the ground floor running away. How'd he get there? I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, that's my question. It's like the time of day is totally different. The it, this, this, this escape was impossible. He's went from being Mr. Luther to Mr. Houdini. Well, I mean, if you're if I was like super rich and had a big organization bigger than any news channel and I had my own like building, I would definitely have some secret uh, passages. So I'm, I'm uh, right. Go with that. Maybe. Well, he gets out of the FBI building. No problem whatsoever. Or he gets out of uh, 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 Truth Lives building. No problem whatsoever. And he gets back into the car. The young priest is still driving. As uh, they're driving on the road, the creepy agent just T-bones their car. And he gets out and just starts shooting. And the first bullet goes through the windshield and misses, but they do this weird CGI slow motion scene where you can see the bullet go through the windshield. And you're like, oh my goodness, is someone going to get shot in the head by this? Is this why they're slowing it down? Nope. It just, they just were like, hey, look, we, we could do this. So that happens. <laughs> But wait, there's the young more. Young turns out to be a professional uh, car driver because he's able to J-turn this car around so very fast <laughs> and drive the other way. At the, the creepy agent still shooting, and this time a bullet goes through the back window, through the back of the seat, and right into John's torso. The two drive away, and I mean, it looks like a it looks like a mortal. Wound. There's some. This is what I can't figure out. This guy's dead. He's not. He's got. 30 seconds. I mean, don't, yeah, just because they shot him exactly where his heart is anatomically doesn't mean he's dead, Scott. Come on. Um, <laughs> Which is what I thought. So the young priest and John drive somewhere, and then John hands the young priest the video to upload to the internet because John had such, good, uh, such a good experience <laughs> handing over the last evidence that he had. <laughs> And so the priest goes and uploads it, and um, the news picks up the story, and it airs Senator Donald admitting uh, to John that he killed this girl and framed him to fight terrorism. Then the President of the United States, who is watching the news, sends one agent out to deal with the problem. We're at the Senator's house, he's packing and panicking when somebody knocks on the door and he goes you know what I better stop what I'm doing and answer it and he answers the door and it's the creepy agent who was just shooting at John he's now at the senator's house and he shoots and kills the senator so the creepy agent actually works for the president right and the president's only in this movie because the guy that plays him paid for the movie (laughs) (laughs) so John's driving again out into the wilderness of D.C. Trying to get to his father's cabin, apparently, but his car, for plot convenience, breaks down before he can make it to his dad's. And there's a sign on the side of the road where he parks that says, Caution! Pool under repair. We're in the middle of nowhere, Luke, and on the side of the freeway, there's a sign that says, Caution! Pool under repair. There's no uh, uh, signs that say, Hey, this is a resort where it used to be. Nope, it just says, hey guys, pool's under the repair. That's great. Because two and a half miles Middle of into nowhere. the woods, there's a small pool. <laughs> like a pool, like P-O-O-L? Yes. Okay. You know, it, it's... <laughs> Luke, it would be like you getting halfway to the remotest place you could in Guam. And that sign I appearing. mean, guys, but you gotta understand, it's one of those famous Washington, D.C. wilderness pool locations. They're all over the place. <laughs> 
It's, but I, I don't understand the pool and why it exists. Neither do we. Hey, Luke, I know why it said that there was a pool. Because there needed to be it's one. this right here. <laughs> hey, Luke. Hey, yes. Luke. Yes. But wait, there's more. <laughs> well, it turns out that uh, the, the senator's house was on the way to this wilderness pool because the creepy agent's right behind John again. And um, <laughs> so so John takes off on foot into D.C.'s wilderness, and creepy agent takes off after John on foot. But then the FBI just show up out of nowhere, and they've got assault rifles. Uh, and John just continues to run through the woods. And he runs past, like, a shack that you'd find in rural Kentucky. He runs past a bunch of rubble and cars that you'd find someplace in West Virginia. And then he comes to the most dilapidated pool in the history of the world. We found it! And beside the pool, there was some guy that was a meth head Trying to shoot up with green crowns. <laughs> but but I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, at least John made it to the pool before the agent did, because it's actually impossible, timeline-wise, for the agent to stop and murder a senator, get back in a car, catch up with John, and then somehow get to the pool before John does so he can tackle John. Well, you'd be wrong, because that's exactly what happens. The agent pops up out of nowhere and tackles John. And he's like, hey, I'm about to execute you right now. But before they can kill John, the FBI shows up, and there's a little shootout. And one of the FBI agents gets capped right in the stomach as John dives in the pool for protection. The pool's empty, by the way. So John's... Uh, you know how well that plastic around that pool is going to provide protection. Well, it's not a... It, don't think of it as an above-ground I mean, just... pool. It's an in-ground pool, but it's... Two and a half feet deep. And so John's in this... That's what? as good as... Go ahead, ask your questions. Let me clear this they, up. <laughs> why are they at a... Why are they at a pool? I mean, does he just like... Is this just like the closest place to where his car broke down? And he was like, well, I guess I'll go there and try to hide. Well, he saw that sign that says, hey, yeah, look, the pool's under really. construction. I better go there. Okay. Well, I suppose that this secret agent has like super secret government secrets and power. And that's probably how he gets around so quick. Maybe. He isn't just—he isn't just like some old police officer, right? Not, not not one of those old police officers off the street. The only thing this movie is missing is a couple of maids that show up and explain everything every five or six minutes. See, <laughs> <Hey>, Luke, <laughs> the pool—the pool used to be his grandfather's house until <laughs> it became yeah. the high school. It was turned into what <laughs> came yeah, into he, high he, school. He, you know it's worse than being framed for rape and murder of a minority woman. It's your house being made into a part of the high school. So, John is in this pool, and everyone stops killing each other long enough for John to make some phone calls, which is super polite for of them. <laughs> wait, wait. So, the FBI agent and the uh, the other agent—they're fighting each other right now. All right, so. The agent and his friend. I forgot. The agent's friend was there. The agent's friend tackles John to the ground. Right? They're pointing guns at John's head. Okay. Then, out of nowhere, the FBI agents show up and tell the creepy agent and his friend to drop their guns. Which they do. But they have a second gun. And the creepy agent's friend draws the second gun and he's killed him immediately. And during that first shot, the creepy agent pulls out his second gun and shoots the only woman in this movie besides John's wife right in the abdomen. But during that whole kerfuffle, oh that's my. when John dives into the pool. Okay. John's bleeding to death in this empty pool. 
and he uses his stolen cell phone to call home. He's talking to his daughter. His daughter, first of all, he calls home. This is not his phone. But his daughter answers the phone, and before he says his first word, the daughter goes, Daddy! How'd she know? They have a clairvoyant in their house, and they're not dealing with that. That'd be a better movie. The psychic daughter who knows who's on the phone before <laughs> anybody identifies themselves. And uh, uh, so That would be a way better movie. So he's talking on the phone to this with this stolen cell phone that he took from the charity worker, and he says his goodbyes to his wife and his kids. Then the injured FBI agent is hobbling alone. There are 50 FBI agents there. Easy. She's by herself hobbling around this building. Why? They're all standing on the perimeter and watching. The one person that got injured, Don't let's send her in. Then, out of nowhere, creepy agent just pops out again and holds the injured FBI agent hostage. And he's like, I'm going to kill her unless you guys drop your guns. But then John, on the brink of death, climbs out of that pool and finds himself a gun. And, and let me tell you, if you didn't know better, you thought it was John Rambo coming up out of that He pool finds loop. himself a gun and then... And this is the guy who's got like... Got like massive blood loss and he's been laying in oh, this yeah. I mean, we're seeing from his perspective, <laughs> things are, are, are fuzzing in and out. He's on the verge of death, but he's able to come to long enough to shoot a creepy agent and not harm the FBI agent he's holding hostage. So he shoots the gun, he passes out, and the last thing we see of John is him taking on a stretcher to the hospital. Back at the Truth Live headquarters, John limps into the building. He's okay. Nothing happened. Uh, the board comes out, and they're like, Hey, John, we're real sorry about all that. Can't wait to have you back on the pulpit on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but John... That was... T- you know, that part of the movie ticked me off. Like, you bunch of jerks. But John doesn't want to deal with the board. Instead, he just hobbles into the He's... most American office any preacher's ever had in the history of America. I'm talking about eagles, red, America. white, and blue color scape. Walks into this American office grabs his Bible, dramatic music starts to play, and he just marches out of the offices. And you think, where's John going to go next? To his wife's house? See his kids? No, he just goes straight to the White House, where all these reporters are gathered to speak to him. Because, you know, they couldn't have just came to him at, at, I don't know, Truth Live, where they got a bigger room and probably better audio set up for this. No, they go to the White House press conference room for this. And the president's like, hey, sorry about trying to kill you. But, hey, maybe say some nice things. Don't be so mean. You're like, oh, man, John's going to let the U.S. government have it. John's going to tell them all about the corruption, about how this bill is just a piece of garbage. Well, he gets up to that podium, he stares right into the camera, and the end. Cut to black. Credits roll. What? (laughs) Yep, that's it. That's the whole movie. (laughs) So, Luke, you can give a rating. You've basically watched this movie. Uh, before we give our rating, remember, we're not using 1 to 10 scale anymore. Instead, we're using the SEP scale, also known as the Stinky Snake scale, where we have four categories, each worth 25 points, each giving a percentage of the movie, which we average together for the final grade. The categories are, number one, scriptural accuracy. Was the Bible scriptural? Uh, uh... Luke, you didn't watch the movie. What did you think about my retelling? Was it scriptural? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's see. I heard I heard one Bible verse, uh, and it was in Psalm, and it was used somewhat contextually correct. So I'm going to give it a 25. Wow. A 25 from Luke. He's going to make this the best rated movie ever. 
That's my fear. <laughs> well, I tell you what, it's tough though because you're thinking scriptural. They used uh, John fourteen six. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Psalm one thirty nine. It was used uh, in context there. What well, not the only that, but the guy there, did Zach? stand up for the fact that there's only one way to get to heaven. One way to get to heaven. I yeah. mean, I, I, mean, I, I I'm not going to give this a twenty five anywhere. Just out of pure bias, I've had to watch this thing three times. But I'll give it a twenty two on scriptural accuracy. How about you, Scott? I'll give it a twenty three because there's. There's, I mean, really, the movie wasn't about scripture, so. Well, but yeah, but the scripture they used and. Yeah, it was it was used to. All right, how about entertainment value? Was it entertaining to watch slash listen to an idiot retell you what the movie was about for Luke's sake? Scott, where are you at? Uh, Inter- no. You know, I, I'm going to give it a, uh, I'm going to give it a 13. I mean, I wasn't repulsed by it. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. It, it got to the point where I'm kind of like, okay, how are they going to do this next to show the stupidity of it? Uh, so I, you know, that's I'll put it, I'll put it right in the middle. 13. All right, thanks, Luke. Scott, how about you? What's your rating? <laughs> Well, I, uh, let's see, I think I'm going to give it a 10, because it didn't sound like it would have been the, the worst movie ever to watch, and you did say, and I've seen the, the main character in some other stuff, and he's a pretty decent actor, so he might have salvaged, you know, something, and uh, it, movies of political intrigue are always interesting to me, but uh, when you leave that many holes at the end and don't fill in that many storylines, then uh, you're going to get docked. So I'm going to give it a 10. I want to give it a five because everything was in focus. The film was shot. Okay. <laughs> and the main actor could actually act other than that ridiculous premise. Too many plot holes. I'm not going above a five. Parental control. Is there anything like we described it last week, Scott? Would you watch this movie with your grandma in the room? I don't know. The only thing on parental control I can think of is the uh, seductive stuff with the in the uh, in the video. I mean, it's not it's not horrible as far as all that's concerned. I mean, I I don't know. 15, 20, 15, 17. Hey, Luke, remember um, a few weeks ago during the Omega Code where Luke gave it a five because a guy was shot in the head? This time we see a gaping bullet wound uh, several times in this movie. Oh, now hold up. <laughs> hey, hold up. Or can we use that? No, yeah, that's no, a that's serious per- question, though. Can we no, use No, that's graphic- parental control. You can use graphic violence in your rating. Okay. Oh. Well, then I'm going with a seven. <laughs> Minus ten points. Yeah. Pretty was, I mean, we got a guy more. It was wounded. very violent, for more violent than I thought it was uh, going to be. Yeah. And plus, I mean, a woman is raped, allegedly, and murdered, right? I mean, that's pretty mature subject content. I'm not one in a stickler or stickler yeah. for violence or whatever, but we're dealing with a mature theme here, which. I appreciate, on one hand, because one thing that I think that Christian movies are terrible about doing is that they're too sappy and soft. They don't deal with 
real world catastrophes. Uh, I appreciated what they were trying to do here, but uh, it was still really kind of creepy. And uh, there was a lot of blood and stuff, and I'd feel uncomfortable showing this to my kid. Uh, I'll give it a, a another five. How about you, Luke? Uh, so it sounded like there was graphic violence. The prostitute scene it was somewhat scandalous. The spaghetti strap. Mm. Going to have to dock a point spaghetti for that. Strap. Um, let's That's see. Spaghetti Anything strap. Else? I'm hungry. People get people getting shot through the chest all the time, but nobody died. Apparently, uh, the agent gets shot. I'm going to give it a uh, 18. All right. Eighteen. Finally, should yeah. you watch, is there any merit to this? When you get up to the pearly gates and God said, how did you spend your time watching this movie? Did you spend it wisely? What are you going to tell them? you can going to say, sure thing, sure did. It was a great time. I'm glad I watched it. It really, uh, uh, really gave a lot to my life. <laughs> I'm going to say I didn't watch it. So <laughs> I'm free from... Any accusations of time wasting? All right, let and me. He'll be like, "Well, I've got I'll, forty-five other movies that you watched with Zach that we can talk about." Okay, I'll, I'll go. F- See, I would recommend. I, this. I'll go first because I know what oh, Scott's going to say. I'm giving it a zero. I hated it every minute of it. Even the talking points that could come from it, <laughs> they don't shine through because you're too busy trying to figure out what in the world is happening and the plot points and everything else. So you don't even get good talking points. From this movie. I mean, we just went through it, and not one time did we talk about the very real possibility of a politician coming in and stripping our religious freedoms away. When you're talking about this movie, you would think that conversation would show up, especially when we conversate about everything. But it didn't, because we were too busy laughing and pointing out the fact that it doesn't make any sense. So no, you shouldn't watch this movie, not because it's bad, not because there's too much violence, but because it's so stupid. So stupid, it's not even entertaining bad. It's just bad. So zero. Tell us, tell us how you really feel. That's my job. All right, Scott. And the thing is, there's talking points that should come out of this movie because there's things we need to talk about. But you're right; we can never get to it because of the ignorance that's going in with these plot holes. And I give it a zero too. So or a zero also. All right. I think uh, I would give it a five. Obviously, the movie kind of stunk, um, but I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it two points. Because I think, I feel like Christians should support Christian media. And it's hard to make the case that you should watch bad movies just to support them. But at the same time, it's like I admire what they're doing and what they're trying to do. And I, I disagree yeah. with your stance. I understand where you're coming from, but I disagree with your stance. We live in a capitalist society, and Christian media is just the same. If you want my money and you want my dollar then you better make it worth my money, or else I'm going to start a podcast and spend so much money watching your stupid movies. So much money! (laughs) Well, I think there are definitely limitations that they face that, you know, secular movie making doesn't as far as budgets and being able to to pay for good actors and whatnot. So it's like, they're somewhat handicapped, now, that's not an excuse for just being terrible. I mean, I feel like you, Scott, and I could get together and make a movie that's better than half of these half of these movies that we've watched and act in it ourselves. But, um, like, I'll give it a f- couple points for the effort. And maybe someone would consider watching it because they wanted to support the effort. So, and then uh, I think, 
I feel like, yeah, there are interesting talking points about like censorship and the government and what's coming, you know, in our country. But I, and I'll, I'll give it the other three points for that. In the okay. end, I gave if, it a 32%. That's an F minus. Luke gave it a 58%, which is a D plus. And Scott gave it a 42%, which is a, also an F minus. So add that all together and average it together, you get a 44%, meaning that this movie is a failure. And of course, we use Carleton University's grading scale. Go Ravens. All right. (laughs) Next week, we have entered into the final week of ringing in the new year wrong with our grand finale. The 2014 apocalyptic thriller directed by Vic Armstrong and starring Nicolas Cage entitled Left Behind. And just in case you have been lucky enough to avoid the undeservingly popular left-behind books of the 1990s, here's a summary. A small group of survivors are left behind after millions of people suddenly vanish and the world is plunged into chaos and destruction. So, with that, let me uh, send you boys a trailer and we'll watch this. Hi, Mom. Chloe, welcome home. So is everything set for Dad's surprise party? Uh, he got called into work. Can I buy you a coffee? I'm waiting for someone. Uh, My dad. Hi, sweetheart. Hey. Welcome aboard PanCon Flight 257 to London. By time today will be six hours and 30 minutes. I love you. Plane have simply vanished. Chris, let me in! Chris! I know you all want answers, and believe me, so do I, and I'll do my best to get them. I heard some doctors talking. It's not just here, it's all over the world. One of these days the sky's gonna break Chloe, are you okay? Yeah, but Mom and Raimi, they're both gone One of these days the mountains are gonna fall into <sighs> Irene knew this was coming, the way it happened How could she know that? Holy he took them to protect them From the darkest time in the history of this world about would never do something like this we all have a right to know if we're gonna die no, we're gonna die i have no spoilers no flaps no elevators and if i run this thing dry no reverse thrust i need some room i just really need you to know how much i love you no matter what happens like the end of the world one of these days the sky's gonna break and everything will escape and i'll know all right so that's it for this episode of rotten or righteous as always 
I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Luke Taylor. And I'm Zach Geiler's twin. (laughs) (laughs) Remember to say your prayers and obey your parents. But before we go, hey, Luke, did you hear about that shipwreck off the coast of Guam that happened this week? Uh, no. Well, apparently it was carrying a bunch of paint and it marooned all the sailors. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) It's horrible. I don't know what's going on on that stretch of road because I forgot about telling you guys this. Uh, The other night, this other woman, it's like 10.30 at night, me and Kelsey are watching TV, and then all of a sudden you hear outside our door. Again, our closest neighbors are her grandparents, and they live half a mile down the street. But I was like, did you hear somebody knocking on the door? And then she's like, "Uh, I thought so, but I didn't think that's what it was. I was like, okay, will will you go check? Because I'm scared. I'm a scared. So, Kelsey. (laughs) (laughs) At least you admit to it. I mean, mean, that's more than most men would do. Then, out of nowhere, creepy agent just pops out again and holds the injured FBI agent hostage. And he's like, I'm going to kill her unless you guys drop your guns. But then John, on the brink of death, climbs out of that pool and finds himself a gun. And then, boom, he just kills the FBI agent. Or, or the creepy agent. <laughs> that would have been a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, from beginning to end, has so much going wrong for it. That you can't... It, it's like eating a diamond and pooing it out. Alright? It's a little bitty diamond <laughs> and a big old turd. You can't see past all the turd to get to the diamond. 